Welcome to the Fertile Womb Podcast. My name is Holly, and I'm the owner of Rosebud Wellness, which is a women's holistic health practice in Southern California. In my practice, I use acupuncture, yoni steaming, abdominal massage, and the fertility awareness method to support women on their conception journey. In this podcast, I will be sharing about some of the practices and tools that I use in my practice, and also will be interviewing women about their own personal fertility journey, as well as other professionals in the fertility space. Thanks so much for listening. Please enjoy. If you're interested in learning more about the fertility awareness method, then I have a very exciting announcement for you. So many women are interested in learning more about fertility awareness, but they're not necessarily ready to fully commit to the course offering that I have or the full mentorship program that I offer. So if you would like to learn a little bit more and get some more specific one-on-one recommendations about your fertility and your fertility awareness method charting, then I have a new session offering. These sessions are 60 minutes in length. And in this 60 minutes, we pack them full of everything that we possibly can um, in terms of tracking and charting your cycle, optimizing your fertility, whether that be through yoni steaming, abdominal massage, acupressure. If you're local to me, we can certainly do an acupuncture treatment, Chinese herbal medicine. It really can be whatever you want it to be in those 60 minutes. Um, And people really appreciate having an opportunity to start working with me and seeing what it's like and not having to really fully commit to a full program or course. Uh, These sessions are also really affordable at $100 um, for the 60-minute session. So you can book those. I will link the booking link in the show notes of this episode, and it's also on my Instagram. It's called an introductory fertility awareness method session, but like I said, it can kind of be any kind of session that you want it to be, however you want to use the 60 minutes is totally up to you. So I would love to see you in one of these sessions soon. Okay. Welcome back everyone to the Fertile Womb Podcast. I am here today with Nora of Naturally Nora, and she is a preconception health coach, holistic nutritionist, fertility awareness method educator, and is the host of the Ultimate Pregnancy Prep Podcast, which I was just a guest on uh, last week. So I'm really excited to have Nora on today. So first of all, welcome to you, Nora. Thank you, Holly. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you about today's topic. Yeah, me too. So, you know, when we're working in the fertility space and optimizing fertility or anything around the menstrual cycle, nutrition is a huge, huge part of that. And that's something that I talk a lot about with the people that I work with. Um, but I am not a nutritionist. So I always love to have people with that background, um, sharing a little bit more of their knowledge too. So maybe we can start off with you sharing just some general principles when it comes to eating for optimizing your fertility, whether that's, you know, eating times or certain types of foods or some of the things that are kind of top of mind for improving fertility with nutrition? Yeah. One of my top things, one of the top recommendations that I give for uh, nutrition for fertility is number one is learning how to balance your blood sugar. And it doesn't matter where you are in your cycle when it comes to balancing blood sugar every single day. If you can incorporate practices where you are balancing your blood sugar, this is going to help you balance your hormones. If we think about our reproductive hormones, we'll just talk about the top three estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, right? There's more, but for sake of the podcast, um, those reproductive hormones, we think of them on like a tiered system, right? The, those three reproductive hormones are the bottom tier. And then we have tiers on top of that. And the two at the very, very top are insulin and cortisol. So insulin is the hormone that regulates your blood sugar, right? How much sugar is in your blood. And then we also have cortisol, which is kind of like more of a stress hormone, which is also going to be impacted with if your blood sugar is kind of off. So in order for us to help balance those reproductive hormones at that bottom tier, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, if we can learn how to balance the blood sugar to help balance our cortisol and insulin, which is at the top of the tier, it's going to have a healthy trickle down effect to the bottom of those reproductive hormones. So do you want me to give you a couple of my top tips for balancing blood sugar with Or sure, please do. <clears throat> 
So the first one is to, you know, we're talking about, so again, I'm a preconception health coach. My kind of main area of focus is helping women, um, get pregnant. And so if we're looking at the preconception phase, um, to really optimize fertility, this is not really a time when you want to start doing all these crazy fad diets. You want to be kind of as safe and gentle on your body as possible. So, um, a good way to start that is eating within 30 to 60 minutes of waking up because when you wake up in the morning, your blood sugar is in the tank, right? You haven't eaten throughout the night, no eating, no eating or no drinking. So you're fasted and dehydrated. So you want to be eating a well-balanced, healthy breakfast with protein, fat, and fiber first thing in the morning within 30 to 60 minutes of waking. And so this could look like eggs with avocado toast and maybe like half, half of an orange or something. Um, this is going to kind of give you the sustenance and the nutrients that your body needs to, um, start that day in a healthy way. That's going to allow your blood sugar to be more stable as opposed to this big yo-yo up and down throughout the day. So fat fiber protein breakfast within 30 to 60 minutes of waking. If you are a coffee drinker, I'm not saying you need to completely omit coffee. This is totally dependent on your body, how your body responds to coffee or caffeine, I should say. Um, but if you are going to drink caffeine, I just recommend drinking the caffeine after you, during or after you eat breakfast as opposed to beforehand, because that's going to have a pretty significant effect on your cortisol levels, which we know is going to impact those reproductive hormones. Um, and then the general rule outside of just eating a a well-balanced breakfast 30 to 60 minutes after waking is eating about every three to four hours. And again, when you are eating, you want to make sure your snacks are balanced. You're not just eating like a high glycemic fruit on its own, like just a banana, um, because that will spike the blood sugar. Um, you want to pair that with some fat and protein, like, um, nuts, seeds, almond butter to kind of help level out that blood sugar. Um, and then eating again, the healthy balanced meals, breakfast, sorry, lunch and dinner with the healthy balanced snack in between just to help keep those blood sugar levels stable throughout the day. Yes. Yeah. That all maybe will be a little bit familiar to regular listeners um, because I yes. do talk about the importance of balancing blood sugar um, throughout the day. Are there any sort of foods that you recommend across the board when women are working on preconception, when they're on the beginning or somewhere in the fertility journey um, across the board, regardless of the cyclical phase that they're in? Mm -hmm. I, for sure. So um, if you've listened to, I maybe, I know you're a listener to my podcast as well. We follow each other on Instagram and mm -hmm. I talk about this food a lot. It is a food that I do not like. A lot of us don't like it. You may already know where this is going. I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> but one of, um, one of the best foods fertility is actually organ meats. And one of those foods being the liver or liver from like chicken or beef. And this is because it is so nutrient dense with bioavailable nutrients that your body can actually assimilate and absorb. And so um, this is high in folate, B12. Uh, it's also high in vitamin A known as retinol, which is really important for what's called follicular genesis, which is the development of the egg throughout the cycle. So a lot of us are like, oh, I don't want to eat liver, nor I can't eat liver. I know how good it is for me, but you can get in liver. You can get desiccated liver capsules, which makes life a lot easier for us who, for those of us who don't like the taste or texture of liver like myself. So having just a couple ounces, um, a week. We don't need to be eating lots of this. Uh, if you are getting a supplement, you just follow the directions on the label for the supplements. It's usually four to five liver capsules a day. Um, and this is a great way to make sure that you're getting in those, uh, those nutrients that I mentioned to, um, there's so many different benefits to it, but I guess we'll talk about boosting egg quality. It does help with the development of that, um, egg as you move from cycle to cycle, um, outside of that as well, Something that I don't think a lot of- If we of... can just pause on liver yeah. for a second. Yeah. Um, one of the things, I don't know if you've come across this in your practice, but one of the things when I, I prescribe liver, liver capsules to pretty much everybody, because I do tend to attract women that are more like vegetarian, vegan in their history, because that's part of my history. I think we kind of attract the people that we can be the most helpful for, um, or like eating disorder history, things like that, that are really- significantly nutrient depleted. And mm -hmm. I, from Lisa, our mutual teacher, I actually learned to take more than the recommended 
dose of the desiccated liver capsules, which is what I personally do. And I do recommend when it's the right fit for a person. So I wouldn't recommend doing that just yourself, you know, without working with a practitioner. But what I have found in my practice is that a lot of women are very resistant to taking as many as you really need to. So even that like four to five range, I mean, I think on the bottle that I have, it says six per day. So you Mm -hmm. could do that like in three in the morning and three in the afternoon or something like that. And some of them, some of the time they'll say they want you to titrate up slowly because it can have, you can have kind of like a detoxification reaction, which I did not personally experience. I just like went for it. Um, I didn't think I realized that at the time that, that there was a potential for that. But anyways, um, a lot of the women that I have worked with will take like one or two or yes. they're like, I'm like slowly <laughs> increasing and they kind of just linger there forever. And one of the things that I say to them is I try to give them an image of this is literally just meat that's dried up. So if you think about if somebody gave you like a little piece of meat that was the size of what would be like in teaspoon. one or two capsules, it's yeah. not worth taking it. You're wasting your money on, yes. I mean- that's maybe that's just my opinion, especially because I'm a Chinese herbalist as well. And in order for people, so I've been experiencing this for many years that women will do that with their Chinese herbal formula too, where they're like, oh, I took like one gram or I took it twice once a day, but I forgot to do the three times. And dosage is of anything is really important. So that's another part of nutrition. It's like we could be eating all the right things, all these superfoods, but if you're not getting enough of it. And consistently, right. And taking it consistently every day, like these are the two components, even like when we talked about from your um, episode last time, you talked about the Arvigo massage therapy or like how on a consistent basis or getting acupuncture, like all Mm -hmm. of these modalities, which nutrition can be included in that as well is consistency and dosage. I mean, we know this with any new habit we're trying to build or create. If I want to, I started taking up violin again and I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of be lazy with it and come play when I want to play. But then I'm like, no, if I don't actually practice every day, I'm not going to get to where I want to be. So it's the same. It's the same with any kind of new habit that you're picking up. That's such a good comparison is, is like practicing something that, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Or like relying on that you went for a walk last month as you're moving your body, you know, kind of thing. So I, because you're talking about liver and I, we're totally in agreement that it is such a superfood for lack of a better word for optimizing fertility. And yeah, it matters that you're getting in enough. And I have not personally tried to eat it. Have you? Oh yeah. My, my mom makes liver. My mom, so when I was younger, my mom used to make cow's tongue. I remember this as a child. I loved cow's tongue. I I was like, Oh, we're having tongue for dinner. And then I saw it one day raw on the counter and I was mortified. I was like, mom, what is that? It was like thawing out and it was this big tongue. I was like, mom, what is it? She's like, Oh, sweetie, that's cow's tongue. And I never ate it after that. Oh man. Yeah. (laughs) But my mom makes a lot of liver now. And my friend who was vegan and then decided to kind of turn on to meat, he started making liver. And so I was trying so hard to eat it in so many different ways. Um, and I know Lisa's book, she has a lot of different ways that you actually can prepare it and Mm -hmm. use it and just like create little ice cube trays of, um, just like a liver pate and then thought one, thought out one or two of those ice cube liver Mm -hmm. ice cubes, throw it into a stew or a soup or like your meat sauce or something um, where you can somewhat mask the taste. There are different ways that you can kind of try and incorporate it. But honestly, I've tried it so many ways and I'm like, I just, I just can't, I don't like it. So so we do the capsules, but I also want to say one thing based on the dosage as well is that so um, the organ meats, the wonderful thing about organ meats is that it does include a lot of the nutrients that are much more difficult to find in plant-based food or muscle meat, right? Including like vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin A is retinol. Remember we have two types of vitamin A. We have beta carotene vitamin A, which is veggies, which make it yellow and green, yellow and orange. And then we have vitamin A in the form of retinol, which comes from the animal protein, but mostly vitamin A retinol 
comes from the organ meats versus the muscle meat. Mm -hmm. So vitamin A as retinol, again, is very beneficial for sperm and egg health. And so if you're not eating organ meats and you're not supplementing with vitamin A as retinol, which most people don't, because if you look at a prenatal or most supplements that have vitamin A, it's either the beta carotene or a synthetic version, which is actually dangerous to the body. If you take too much of it, you can have a little bit of toxicity, but when it comes to vitamin A uh, or certain like vitamin A, vitamin D, um, bioavailable forms of B12 and folate, a lot of this can really be found in high quantities in the organ meats. So the reason why I'm talking about dosage now is because you can also get your levels tested. When I work with my clients, I'm always like, okay, we need to test your vitamin D, your vitamin B12, your ferritin, like all of these levels, we should see where they're sitting at. And if you are very deficient, and I'm sure Holly, from your experience and what you were sharing also with the people that you're attracting with um, being a vegetarian, vegan, having, you know, um, eating disorders when you were younger, then it, a lot of the times these are the nutrients you are deficient in. So if you can figure out what those levels are first, like you say, work with a practitioner, and then you can actually figure out what is the best dosage for you based on how much you are deficient. Because if you're like sky high through the roof with your nutrients for B12, ferritin and all that, I would be mindful of how much you're actually uh, supplementing then um, from any sort of supplement, including a desiccated liver cap. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. And I do think that having those values too, and you know, the charting goes along with that too, the fertility yes. awareness charting, that it can be really motivating for women when they see there's on a piece of paper, there's actually a numerical value for how deficient they are and that their body is really needing something. You know, it's it's one thing to just say you know, you need more nutrition because you were a vegetarian for a long time. But if you have some information to back up why you're saying that or why you're recommending a certain supplement in the dosage that you're recommending. Yeah. It's a lot more That's motivating. Yeah. Um, I did have one, I know we were on organ meats for a while there, but I do want to say like one, one more food, just general for fertility, no matter where you are in your cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I don't, it's not really popular here. Not it's it's more readily eaten and available in um, like the Eastern world, mainly more in Asia. But when we're thinking about um, supporting our thyroid, which is another one of the hormone, which is another one of the glands that is really important for balancing our hormones is to eat thyroid supporting foods and thyroid supporting foods come in the form of foods that have selenium that have iodine and zinc iodine being a big one of them. And so, um, eating foods that support the thyroid, uh, there's, you know, think sea vegetables, sea vegetables are a great way to support the thyroid, um, and fertility. And I think, you know, other than if maybe this is, this is part of your culture and this is how your parents cooked. A lot of us in the Western world don't get, a, a don't eat a lot of kind of sea vegetables, right? Thinking of, I remember learning about kombu. Are you familiar with kombu? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I love kombu. Kombu is this like hard seaweed, that when you kind of drop it in water, it, it, it gets, um, it softens up and you're not actually eating the kombu, but like I throw it into all my soups, stews. If I'm making rice, if I'm making quinoa, I'll kind of throw it in there just to allow the water and the food to kind of soak up the nutrients that are in the kombu so that I'm now kind of getting that in my diet as well. Um, I don't think, where do you get kombu? Yeah, I can find it at the grocery store. Really? In like the okay, Asian, cool. In the, yeah. You know how there's like the Asian section or, yeah. um, and then you can find, you know, wakami, uh, kombu, nori, like the nori sheets. Mm -hmm. You'll find, you'll find it in there. When I make my chicken broth, I put two pieces of kombu in there and I'm, I'm always adding kombu into my food, but this is, you're like, I would never think to do that. Totally. So, yeah. That's a really great tip. That's another big one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times, uh, breast tenderness, whether it's during the ovulatory phase or premenstrually can be related to iodine deficiency. So, Sorry about that. No, I didn't hear anything. Oh, my dogs, my dog. Oh, I didn't even hear it. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, I'm, I sometimes will recommend an iodine supplement for example, but it's always really great if you can get more things in with food. So you're not taking zillions of supplements. Exactly. Um, so that's a really great tip that I'm going to be recommending more too. So thank you for that. Yes. Any other like top fertility foods that you'd like to share about? 
Well, I mean, we transition into like phase. Let's go into the phases. Can we talk a lot about different foods for the different phases? And they'll kind of overlap anyways, right? Totally. Right. Okay. So we'll start with the bleeding phase, which is when you have your period. So what are some of the top foods that you recommend during that? So that's like day one until potentially day seven, depending on how long you bleed for. Yeah. So first I'll just say with every week, when you ask, I'm just going to do a quick overview with where the hormones are at, because knowing where the hormones are at is going to dictate what that's going to mean for foods, hunger, cravings, all of that stuff. So week one, day one of your day, one of your cycle means day one of your period, exactly like you mentioned, Holly. And, um, in the first week of our cycle, all of those reproductive hormones, progesterone, testosterone, estrogen are like almost flatlined. So everything is really low, which is also probably why we feel a little bit more fatigue, introspective, socially withdrawn. We want to stay home and just be cozy. So what we want to focus on when it comes to nutrition for that first week is we want to focus on um, nutrition that is replacing the minerals and the vitamins that we are losing while bleeding. And a lot of us probably already know this. When you bleed, you're losing an important mineral, which is iron. Um, and iron is, you can find, you can eat iron in, uh, animal protein, muscle meats, lentils, beans. These are good sources of that. And at the same time, because men's menstruation is also, um, an inflammatory process, we want to be eating anti-inflammatory foods with that at the same time. And because our energy is low, we want to be eating foods that have a lot of B vitamins to give us a little bit more energy in that first week of our cycle. So again, let's go back to what does this actually look like when it comes to food? So grass-fed beef or grass-fed animal protein, um, wild-caught salmon, Okay, we want to make sure these are sourced properly because you want the proper nutritional profile for each of these foods. Um, Sardines and bone broth. These are really kind of nourishing, hearty foods that are going to give you um, those minerals and vitamins that your body is uh, losing during the bleed. And if we're thinking back to that bone broth, we can throw in extra pieces of kombu and make it with onions and celery um, and like parsley, cook it with a whole bunch of veggies as well. So you're kind of creating like a liquid multivitamin mineral that you're having in the form of bone broth. Um, And at the same time, we, uh, we're not only losing iron, but we're also losing zinc. This is another key mineral that we lose while we bleed. So going back to seaweed, this is, has a lot of zinc, um, also scallions and mushrooms. So onions, mushrooms, I literally, this literally what is what my bone broth looks like. I throw all of these foods into my bone broth and I sip this cause it's cozy and it feels good on the first week of your cycle. Um, And the last piece I want to talk about for the foods for week one is eating a lot of antioxidant rich foods to help combat that inflammation that your body has during the menses, menses phase. Um, And in addition to that, antioxidants have a lot of vitamin C. And we know in order to allow iron to absorb in our body, it needs to be paired with vitamin C. So having uh, more antioxidant rich foods like berries or leafy greens, these are great ways um, to make sure that your body is really assimilating that iron that you're eating from the rich animal protein and that bone broth um, and making sure you're getting in some dark leafy greens and some berries um, in and around the same time. So If we really think about menstruating, I want you to think replenish your iron as best as you can. We think about the difference between plant and animal-based protein sources, right? Like a lot of the times, if we go, if we just think generally speaking between plant and animal-based proteins, uh, plant-based proteins, while they are great for you and have a lot of wonderful benefits, the plant-based protein, um, in order for that plant to be protected in the environment for it to grow to mm-hmm. how it needs to mature to then be kind of harvested and then used for human consumption. The plant-based proteins have a lot of what's called anti-nutrients and these anti-nutrients can make it harder for the body to digest and assimilate the plant-based protein. So for instance, when this is why some people actually have, um, quite a bit of maybe irritation in the gut when they eat more beans and legumes, especially if they're not prepared properly. Mm -hmm. So if, I don't know, 
um, back when you were more vegetarian, did you soak your lentils or soak your beans before you, or sprouted them before you? I did. Yeah. I became aware of that pretty early on. And I, I mean, for me personally, it was always eating disorder problems more than the fact that I was a vegetarian was just that there was an overall depletion of everything. So I, I guess I just still feel curious about like, if it's possible to have a healthy cycle with being a vegetarian, because I know that some people are for moral reasons. And that's very much what it felt like for me of just, that was kind of always my preference was to not eat animal protein. I don't want to get into like a political, you know, religious or whatever conversation about it really, but I, I don't have any moral opinion about whether people choose to be vegetarians, but from what I understand, it's really challenging. And Lily Nichols, um, I'm sure oh, yes. you know her book, Re- Real Food for Pregnancy is a wonderful resource for understanding. Yeah, baby. She just held <laughs> up the copy. Um, because that it it really was eye-opening for me, not only personally, but also professionally, because I attract so many ex-vegetarian vegan women to really understand why I was making the recommendations I was making about primarily consuming or not primarily, but making sure to consume animal protein on a really regular basis. And I've experimented with my own cycle of just like, could I be a vegetarian? Could I just, um, and it, it impacts my cycle immediately. And maybe it depends on the person, you know, like maybe some people that don't have the level of nutrient depletion that I do from, you know, like 15 years of anorexia could Mm -hmm. their body would be more resilient. So I guess I, you know, when you first learn about something, you're, you're a little bit more likely to be sort of dogmatic about it, where like, I kind of felt everybody needs to eat animal protein then, I guess. But mm-hmm. yeah, now I'm, I'm sort of becoming more curious about, you know, get just getting uh, creative about the ways in which we incorporate animal protein or don't like maybe people are vegetarians and they take desiccated liver as a medicinal supplement that although it is an animal, it is derived from animal meat or organs, um, they are okay with that because it is a medicine. Same thing with bone broth, like things like that. I didn't mean to go on such a tangent uh, there, but anyway, yeah, I just, I think it's a good, I think it's a good point because I'll do the same with my vegetarian or vegan clients. And I will say, okay, if there is a little bit of wiggle room here, what like I'll do my first go-to is a desiccated liver capsules because they're not actually eating the the animal animal protein. They're kind of taking it in a capsule. And I will say some of my clients do do that. So mm-hmm. I think I just wanted to make that point because it's exactly, exactly to what you were saying. And also Holly, I do want to say as well, just to throw another, just tiny little piece here is that of course, the answer is always, it depends on the individual. And I think as well, depending on kind of where you are on the fertility journey, if you've been struggling for a while, or you've been diagnosed with unexplained infertility, the additional piece here with regards to nutrition and what foods are most beneficial to, uh, for you is to understand your gut in a much more in-depth way, because depending on your microbiome, the health of your microbiome, this is going to fully dictate how well your body is able to assimilate nutrients, you know, one, one person's food is, uh, sorry, food can be one person's poison or the same food can be one person's medicine. So it really is individual, individualistic on the individual person. And to, um, when you can do additional gut health testing, I use biome effects from microbi- microbiome labs that I do with my clients. And we get a thorough deep dive report on, do they have dysbiosis an imbalance of good to bad bacteria in the gut? is is certain bacteria fermenting their plant or animal-based protein that they're eating so that they can't even absorb it or assimilate it anyways, right? If we can understand the function of somebody's gut first, we're then more able to kind of um, recommend maybe what uh, what the most beneficial nutri- nutrition would be for them based on the function of their digestion. Yeah, that is a really, really good point. Yeah. There's, you know, you could be taking all the supplements in the world, but if your body's not able to extract 
that, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't really, it's not really going to be very helpful for you. Exactly. So we were on the bleeding phase and then I went onto a long tangent about something else. So, um, is there anything else you'd like to share about the bleeding phase or should we transition into the follicular phase? Yeah, let's, let's go right into week two. So the, the follicular phase, which is my favorite week of the cycle. And I think for all women, if depending on how in tune you're, you are with how you feel in different weeks of your cycle week two, if we actually look at it from a hormonal standpoint is typically kind of the quote unquote best feeling week for us women in our cycle. And why is this? Because again, if we go back to where are our hormones, Estrogen and testosterone are two hormones that really start to rise in the second week of the cycle. And higher estrogen levels means two things. The first one is higher estrogen levels actually means more dopamine. And what is dopamine? Dopamine is that feel good neurotransmitter and more dopamine in the body improves your focus. It improves your concentration. It improves your motivation, your memory. It it help, It makes you want to be social, go out and literally find a mate so that you can procreate. Like that is legitimately what's happening with our hormones as we're moving towards ovulation. So you feel a lot better. You've got more energy. Um, and in addition to that, rising estrogen also is a little bit more of an appetite suppressant. So you're not necessarily as hungry as we move into that follicular phase. Um, again, depending on how aware you are of this, I'm not sure, but maybe just start to pay a little bit closer attention and see. So that being said, um, I would say during the second week, you can get away with eating a little bit less, okay, eating a little bit less food. I know, Holly, we talked about this for a few minutes beforehand, like how hungry we get in the luteal phase. So Um, pay attention to those hunger signals in the body because they mean something because it just, you know, your hormones are telling you something. So you may feel a little less hungry in that follicular phase and that's okay. Still be on top of making sure you're balancing your blood sugar, that you're eating regularly and you're getting, you know, balanced meals. But I would say in that second week, cycling too, but flax is actually a great, um, it just cut out for a second. I didn't, I don't know where you were. Yeah. I got the end of a seed. Okay. So I was going to say, we can talk about seed cycling in the, in a moment, but Mm -hmm. if we're talking about like a certain food, that's really good for, um, the follicular phase is flax seeds, flax seeds, getting in your flax seed at, at this time of the, of the month, because of the really kind of rising estrogen levels, flax has something called lignans, which is a phytoestrogen, which kind of helps modulate your estrogen levels. And then also maybe kind of, um, it, it helps kind of balance out those estrogen levels if you're pumping out too much or if maybe you're not making enough. So the flax is a really good kind of seed to kind of cycle in during the follicular phase to help with um, kind of hormone development as your estrogen really rises in that second half. Awesome. Any other foods that come to mind in the follicular phase? Yeah. So as we, so as we kind of move towards ovulation and we kind of get to ovulation, now we're going to say for just easy purpose sake for the podcast, let's just say we're talking about a 28 day cycle. Let's just say 28 day cycle. Let's say you ovulate on day 14. Okay. People still ovulate on day 14. It is normal to happen. <laughs> we just don't always can all ovulate. Happen, on- yes. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> um, let's just say you ovulate on day 14. So you might not be hungry, let's say day 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 leading up to it. But then as you get close to ovulation, you're, think about your ovaries as like running a marathon, right? Now your body is requiring a lot more energy as you get closer to that ovulation day. And as that time comes closer, you will notice a little bit more hunger. And this is where your body needs more energy when you actually ovulate. Um, so thinking about like getting in more complex carbohydrates, like whole grains, oats, squashes, sweet potatoes, think about supporting your body, supporting your ovaries to kind of go through that process of ovulation and giving it the energy that it needs. So yeah, like at the beginning of that second week, you might not feel like you need as much food, but again, balancing that blood sugar, eating flax, um, getting in 
your dark leafy greens and that good stuff. But then as we move towards ovulation day, you might want to ramp up those uh, complex carbohydrates just to give your body that extra energy. Love it. Awesome. Yeah. Anything else like specifically during the ovulatory phase that you can think of? The one thing that, so it's not necessarily a nutrient, but it's hydration. That's Mm. really important because I think a lot of us don't realize, I would say probably if I think about my clients, 80% of my clients are chronically dehydrated. We really don't realize how much water we actually need. So I think it's important here to kind of talk about hydration. Now, generally speaking, our bodies need about one liter for every 50 pounds of body weight. And if we think about cervical mucus production as well, which is kind of what happens as we move towards ovulation and during ovulation, this um, also requires adequate hydration for the body. So in order for us to have this really, you know, healthy, clear egg white peak quality um, stretching mucus that we like to look for, um, being adequately hydrated or not adequately hydrated can impact your cervical mucus production as well. So I would say thinking about make thinking about making sure that you are getting enough hydration and water, I mean, all the time, but really during this phase, this phase of your cycle. You know, I was randomly just reading about, because I have this one patient I'm working with right now that has very limited cervical mucus and she's trying to get pregnant and she is feeling so overwhelmed by the idea of supplements. And so I've been trying to get creative about like, what are some of the other foods that I can recommend? Cause she seems really keen to add in different types of foods that I'm recommending based on if she kind of understands where it comes from. So I was reading this little article, so I'll just, I'll share what I I wrote. Um, So omega-3 is really important, which we know that for fertility anyways. um, But I just thought that was fun to think about it from like a cervical mucus in particular perspective. So that's in nuts and seeds, like we were just talking about. And I do want you to share about seed cycling too. Yes. Uh, salmon, eggs, and sardines, which you've already shared about, but they all contain omega-3. Uh, leafy greens also include, I mean, leafy greens are just great across the board when it comes to fertility and health in general. Uh, but I always think the Fs, fiber, folate. Think of the Fs for the leafy greens, fiber, for the dark leafy greens. It just cut out again. Sorry. Oh, no. saying the Fs, <laughs> fiber, folate. Folate. And then phytonutrients is not an F, but it is pH. It, it sounds sound. like an F. <laughs> totally. I love um, it. These are good things to remember for the dark leafy greens. And we really think fiber, folate, fiber, folate, fiber, folate. So good for fertility. And love there's it. the F, fertility. <laughs> Got it. And uh, they also contain in this thing that I was reading, they say zinc, potassium, and iron, a bunch of other things too. And I'll actually mention that again, when I talk about B vitamins, they yes. were talking about how B vitamins can be supportive of estrogen production. So I think you kind of shared about that too, in the follicular phase, that's what we're wanting to optimize. Um, so there's a million things that contain vitamin B, um, but that you know, difficult, more difficult in vegetarian sources, but eggs and dairy, nuts and seeds, fish, poultry, and then dark green leafy vegetables, bananas, and citrus fruits, which I thought was kind of fun. So it can always just be kind of fun to get yourself inspired to incorporate different foods into your diet that you don't necessarily think about buying when you go to the grocery store, just because you have this intention of, improving your cervical mucus. And then vitamin D was another one. Uh, so in salmon, sardines, egg yolks and mushrooms, which I actually did not know. So that was kind of a fun thing. And then water was the next tip. So that's what made me, that's where it came from because that's what you (laughs) shared about. Um, so yeah. And then vitamin D, I don't know about you, but I find that most of the women that I work with are deficient in it. And so I'm Mm -hmm. recommending a supplement for that too, usually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, That's those just are all, a fun little aside. Those are all great. You know what? It's, it's funny. We can think of like, as a nutritionist, when I first started and I was like, well, certain food, you know, we can, we can pick a food and we can call out, we can kind of call out certain vitamins that are really good, let's say for fertility, but really one food is good for heart health is good for cardiovascular is good for fertility is good for brain. Like 
it's just a matter of how we want to call it out or what nutrient we decide to focus on in that particular food. So I, I like to say like, think about eating because it can get really overwhelming. I even remember myself when I started learning about all this and I'm like, how do I eat properly for my menstrual cycle? And I'm like, this is making me crazy. How am I going to remember all of these things and then like incorporate these tiny different principles differently into my diet diet every single week? Like my life is busy and my brain is overwhelmed enough, you know? So what I like to remind everybody is that when you stick to a whole foods, nutrient dense diet, that gives you a well-rounded, um, that where you're getting a well-rounded source of vegetables, fruits, animal protein. Um, this, you know, your body is going to take what it needs and use what it needs. So, just think of it about that as your foundation, and then maybe pick one or two, even just one principle that you're going to incorporate every week, like when you're on your period, you're going to eat for sure more animal protein or try to eat liver that week. I don't know, but pick one or like eat, drink more bone broth during that week. Pick one thing to kind of stack on top of your foundational healthy diet. So, you, so it doesn't feel too overwhelming because I, I just, I think it's so important to make that point. It really, it really is. And especially if you go on social media or reading blogs, there is so much conflicting information about it, what is a fertility supportive diet. And this goes back to what you were talking about before of, if you don't know the full picture of the individual, then some of what you said, you know, one person's medicine is another person's poison. And that's why it is really important to get some individualized care. If you're feeling overwhelmed and confused, because there's a lot of difference of opinion out there. And I mean, there's definitely a lot of people that have that recommend intermittent fasting for fertility or elimination diets of, of dairy and meat products and things like that. And that's, I know for me, when I was just working, I wasn't really trying to optimize my fertility, but I was just trying to get my period regulated. I would get so confused and so lost in all of the different recommendations that you're exactly right. It's you can make it as complicated or as simple as what you just said. It's like whole foods, nutrient dense and balance your blood sugar. Like think about that to just kind of eat throughout the day and then pick. Okay. Well, I know, um, pick, pick one, one or two things for each week, focus on that. And then, and then once you get that as a habit, You'll think, okay, I'm doing this. It's become a habit. And then maybe you can add an extra thing, mm -hmm. right? This is all about developing healthy habits and being consistent, right? Like think about how much you learn and grow. Even for myself, I went to holistic school 10 years ago, literally in class, I sat there with my jaw dropped to the floor. Like how on earth do my teachers have all this information in their brain? Mm -hmm. I'm never going to be able to do that. Like I'm never going to be that person. And now here I am like educating and teaching everyone. And I'm like, wow, I've become that person, but it's taken me time to get there and to think then how I've implemented all of these principles that I'm learning in my life over the last decade. It, it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen in the flip of a switch. So Everybody just be kind and graceful to yourself and take the pressure off. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. So do you want to share about seed cycling now as we're talking about the transition zone or do you want to share about the luteal phase and then we'll do that after? Yeah, let's do the luteal phase and then we'll okay. go to the seed cycling. Cool. So after ovulation is the luteal phase. So yes. share with us what hormones what are up to and some nutrition advice you have. Yeah. So week three, or we'll say week three after you ovulate is think about your estrogen being at the highest point when you ovulate, and then it kind of drops like a roller coaster. So it'll come down. And then um, after you ovulate, your progesterone starts to rise. So that egg that was in the follicle gets released. And then that follicle turns into what's called the corpus luteum, which is like a yellow raisin like structure that starts to now pump out progesterone for um, the remainder of your cycle. And so then progesterone slowly begins to start to rise. And when naturally when progesterone rises, it, what um, impact does it have on the body? It makes you feel more withdrawn, less social, less articulate. You want to nest more, you want to eat more, right? Because higher progesterone, if we both know this as fam educators, 
um, it means your bot your your basal body temperature is going up. And if you're cycle charting, you'll see that thermal shift. So when your basal body temp goes up, your metabolism actually goes up. So you become hungrier naturally in the luteal phase of your cycle. So um, with that being said, we uh, we want really really want to think about being on top of balancing the blood sugar in the luteal phase because insulin, which is that blood sugar regulating hormone, becomes much more sensitive. And so um, if we think about progesterone, then there are a bunch of foods that do help boost progesterone. So let's talk about foods that boost progesterone here. Um, vitamin, let's talk about the four vit or two vitamins and then two minerals two minerals. Yes. There's vitamin um, B6 and vitamin C helps boost progesterone levels and magnesium and zinc boost progesterone levels. And again, um, you know, we've talked about magnesium and zinc even in the first phase, but uh, to help with kind of the anti-inflammatory process, but it's also um, what's needed to kind of help that rising level of progesterone in the second half of the cycle. So what are your favorite uh, magnesium rich foods, Holly? I'll ask you if you know. Um, hmm. Chocolate. I was going <laughs> to say, chocolate? we can all say chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. yeah, that's kind of, I don't, I guess I don't really know that much, um, about other magnesium rich foods. Yeah. So I'll give you some dark leafy greens is another great one. And what do we remember about dark leafy greens, fiber and folate, but it also has a lot of magnesium. Um, cashews and Brazil nuts have a lot of magnesium as well. And avocados and dried apricots are really good for magnesium. So if we think about wanting to balance blood sugar, we want to get in those healthy fats with our meals. So eating avocados with, you know, our breakfast, lunch, or dinner is a great way to also get magnesium. We want to get zinc in as well during this time to help with rising progesterone levels. And um, zinc comes from, again, going back to the ocean. Think about seafoods, all the seafoods from oysters, crabs, um, sardines. These um, are really, really potent sources of, um, of zinc. And as well, this goes to the seed cycling. Do you remember what seed has the most zinc? Um, now I'm like, now I'm like, I mean, <laughs> I know that the luteal phase you use sunflower, which I don't is sesame maybe. Yes. So you're right in the, in the luteal phase, we do use sunflower and sesame seeds, but funny enough, also pumpkin seeds has a lot of zinc as well. So, you oh, and I think of that as seeds. being in the follicular phase, but yeah, interesting. You're right. Yeah. I know. That's why it can get confusing because you can eat, pumpkin but it doesn't. Seeds. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. don't, these are not like hard and fast rules, but that's good to exactly. know. Yeah. I did know that pumpkin seeds were high in zinc, but I didn't think about it for luteal phase. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, I and then getting a little dogmatic about my seed cycling thinking, right? I still eat pumpkin seeds in the luteal phase. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, you can, you absolutely still can. And then B6, B6, um, B6 comes in beef liver, surprise, surprise. And, um, chicken breasts, roasted turkey, chickpeas, chickpeas, actually, I think so chick, if we're talking about B6, vitamin C, magnesium, and zinc, chickpeas is across the board for all four for all four of those. So chickpeas are a great food to have as well. Um, and then, yeah, roasted turkey, ground beef, beef liver, and then vit vitamin C. I think we're all pretty familiar with vitamin C-rich foods, right? We think about like oranges or citrus fruits, let's say. Any sort of kind of colorful fruit or vegetable has a lot of vitamin C. Um, so I don't have to name those off, broccoli, strawberries, all that kind of stuff, but um, a lot of vitamin C rich foods as well. So B6, vitamin C, magnesium, and zinc, which are really, really good for progesterone production. Um, so go ahead. Sorry. Did you want to say something? Maybe you can see that I'm thinking. I didn't even yeah. go to talk, but I'm like, <laughs> because I I am always trying to reduce the amount of supplements that I'm recommending, but I al I also have the amount of supplement in my head of what is needed or what I've learned is supportive of progesterone production. And for mm -hmm. vitamin C in particular, it's 2000 to 5,000 milligrams. milligrams. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, and because I was, there's a woman that I'm working with that I do think needs some progesterone support and she is already taking maybe like four other supplements and I'm kind of trying, and she's also on a Chinese herbal formula. So I'm always trying to get creative of how I can reduce the amount of supplements we're taking. And I was looking through all the vitamin C rich foods for her and 
and recommending different things and then looking at the amount of vitamin C that they contain. And I mean, to get to that level, that like high level would, I don't even know if you could do that with food. So it's just, yeah, I, that is correct. I think about that. I do align so much with what you're saying of that. We can get all, a lot of these nutrients from our food sources, but how do you decide when you need a supplement, you know, versus you're getting everything from your food. Anyway, maybe this is like a way too big of a topic for a podcast, but <laughs> something that I clinically think about a lot. And I'm sure you do too. Of course, of course. And that's when I will look at somebody's food diary and say, okay, like what are the, how are you typically eating throughout the day? And if you can see glaring that maybe this person isn't eating as many vegetables or fruits or not getting enough fiber, uh, it's kind of have to make, you kind of have to, as you know, this, you kind of look at the whole person, right? You can't kind of make the decision and just like one siloed thing. You've got to look at the big picture. So I always try and think, okay, like what is the lowest hanging fruit for me? Does this, this person needs lots of vitamin C, but if I also know that this person isn't pooping once a day, they're maybe they're constipated if they're not pooping once a day. And if that's the case, then maybe what I need to be supporting right now more so is their gut health so that they can be on a regular pooping schedule so that they can actually absorb uh, uh, the nutrients that they're that they that they're eating from the foods that from their that they're eating. So I guess this is more of like a, a practitioner's brain. It's how do you kind of come up with the best plan and protocol that A is not going to be too overwhelming for the client, but at the same time is going to kind of give them the biggest bang for their buck because, you know, we can take all the supplements until the cows come home. We can eat all of the foods everybody is recommending, but like you said, it, it can be so overwhelming and confusing. So I always say, okay, what is the lowest hanging fruit? What are the top three things we need to prioritize? And based on looking at their cycle charts, their blood labs, their food diary, understanding where they are in the process, right? Of trying to conceive, are they, are they going in for fertility treatments? Are they still trying naturally? Kind of have to take all of these elements, pull them together, and then kind of decide what is it that I need to focus on first? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Because yeah, it can feel really easy to just throw a bunch of supplements at something, exactly. but I never recommend that method. I don't know when the, my supplement podcast that I recorded is going to come out relative to this one, but at some point there will be that information too of, you know, what getting really specific about what supplements you're taking and why is really important. So Anyway, to go back to the luteal phase, is there yes. anything else that you'd like to share about, you know, certain foods or, or certain nutrients that we need to kind of tend to in that phase of the cycle? Yeah. So I would say as well. Um, so first one is just balancing the blood sugar as best you can, because insulin is more resistant, focusing on those four, uh, those four, two vitamins, two mineral foods that we just spoke about. Um, and then also as well, uh, focusing on, um, more anti anti-inflammatory foods as well. So turmeric, I would say like more turmeric um, and ginger at this time of the cycle will also will also work work well for the body because again, as you kind of move into the luteal phase into the progesterone time, your your metabolism is ramped up, your and this as your progesterone rises, you also do actually have a second rise of estrogen in the middle of your luteal phase. So that second rise of, of, uh, estrogen and progesterone together can create a little bit more inflammation. So getting in that, uh, ginger and turmeric, I love to do like a ginger turmeric lemonade and kind of think about sipping on that in the luteal phase and then more of the bone broth in the follicular phase. That's kind of how I like to kind of rotate through some of the things that I like to kind of drink on outside of just water. Um, but that's another point that, that I wanted to make. That sounds delicious. It is really good. It's turmeric. Uh, fresh lemon, a couple slices of ginger, cinnamon, and hot water. You let that steep for a little bit, add a little bit of honey. It's amazing. So I'm going to try that. I'm in my luteal phase right now. So get to try it right yes. away. Yeah. Yes. It's really good. And I, we talked about this before, kind of week three and week four are kind of very similar with, when it comes to nutrients that are needed. Week four, you might even feel a little bit more of the need for more food. And I know, Holly, we talked about this a little bit before we pressed record because mm -hmm. you're also in your luteal phase. I just finished my period. And I like, it's insane how much 
you feel like, a, at least for me, I feel like a different person the week before I get my period. Honestly, mm-hmm. truly, I do. <laughs> I can eat probably like a quarter more, like, I don't want to say, I would say like a quarter more of what I usually eat. And like, I can be ravenously hungry and just like never, can never get enough food. <laughs> or I feel feeling similarly. Yeah, that week yeah. before. I and think, I think a lot of people pathologize that, you know, they're like, oh, I'm like binging in my pre when I'm premenstrual. Um, yeah, I think it comes from that. Like you have just more of an appetite, you know, you have my, your body is, is you, your progesterone levels are rising. Your basal body temperature is rising. Your metabolic activity is rising. So naturally it's just, and your body also thinks you might be pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to pack in that nutrients, right. Is trying to hold everything in. The other thing I want to say about rising progesterone is that, um, it does slow down your bowels a little bit. So you may also notice that you might feel a little bit more constipated or you have less bowel movements or more of a strain during this time. So if we think about um, gut supporting foods, like eating more fermented foods, uh, like sauerkraut and kimchi, this is a good time to kind of support the gut uh, a little bit more. So eating those fermented foods, getting in your kefir, sauerkraut, kimchi uh, in the luteal phase would also be a good time to kind of mitigate some of that um, premenstrual bloating and um, just kind of help support the bowels as you kind of move through uh, the luteal phase. Awesome. Love those tips. And would you like to share about like the specifics of seed cycling? Yeah. So seed cycling, if we just kind of look at it in its general principles, um, there are four seeds that we're going to be talking about. Okay. Well, we'll, there's four seeds. And essentially what you do is you cycle two seeds in the first half of your cycle in the follicular phase. So from day one of your cycle up until the day you ovulate. Um, And then after you ovulate, you take the other two seeds and you cycle them over the next two weeks. So the four seeds are flax, pumpkin, sunflower, and sesame. And if you use about about one-ish tablespoons a day of each, you can eat them as they are. You can grind them up. There's a lot of different information about there. People say it doesn't work as good if you don't grind them. You know what? At the end of the day, if we just think about consuming the seeds, you can have them in the nut butter form. You can grind them up. You can eat them whole. Um, you, we want your body to to just kind of get them in and assimilate and digest them. So uh, follicular phase is flax and pumpkin seeds. So you can um, get a tablespoon of each, throw them into your smoothie. Uh, and then in the luteal phase, it is um, sunflower and sesame. What I've done for my clients and have... Um, for, for my clients is I create balls. So I do follicular phase energy balls and luteal phase energy balls. So you're actually making, you know, like those yummy raw energy balls. Mm-hmm. Um, you're taking the ingredients, you're making balls with them, and then you kind of store them in the freezer and then you take them out and you kind of chomp on one or two balls a day. And that's kind of like your seed cycling. Love it. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, there's, I've heard mixed reviews about seed cycling, like some people say it's complete BS. And I'm pretty sure Lisa, our mutual teacher at some point, I I was thinking about it this morning that I want to find it, but I think she had some kind of research study that showed some really significant improvements in women's menstrual cycles from incorporating seed cycling. So on a consistent basis, again, because if we think back, I know Lisa's amazing when it comes to research. If totally. You, yes. She's just like the queen of research. You will it's have a crazy. research article for everything. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but the thing about this as well, if we go back to what we were talking about at the beginning is the consistency, because as you and I both know from, um, being a fam student of Lisa herself is that especially when we're tracking progress through cycle charting is it takes time, right? We're using our menstrual cycle as kind of like a, a barometer or a baseline or a benchmark to really assess the progress of our clients or ourselves, if we use ourselves as an example, but you're using your menstrual cycle as, as kind of like a baseline benchmark to assess the changes in your nutrition and lifestyle as you move through cycle to cycle. It's not going to happen in a day or two, like at minimum. And I see this with my clients, myself in my own practice, it can take at minimum three months to start seeing shifts and changes. And I know learning from Lisa as well, it was always like, give the client at least three months to start seeing the changes. Now, you can say that theoretically, now that I've been working with clients in this capacity for many years now, you they you can feel the changes and the difference. Sometimes it happens quicker than others. Sometimes it takes people at least a couple months until we see the changes on their chart. 
but outside of their chart, you can actually feel the difference within, let's say, one cycle. So um, I, I say the proof is in the pudding when I can see the changes in my, you know, the way my clients are feeling, their cycle parameters change. Um, and so for me, it's like the research is important and to understand uh, the research is really important. But if my client feels the difference, like that's all I need for my client to feel better, better and to see the improvements. I, yeah, of, I have a very right? similar perspective. Yeah, I definitely am basing my assessment of whether something's helpful or not based on what my my people are sharing with me. And there was one other thing, yeah, th that I was going to share about seed cycling, but I think I'm going to just table it for now. So if there's anything else you'd like to share about the luteal phase or eating for optimizing your fertility, um, otherwise I'll give you an opportunity to share about where people can find you. Yeah, I think I, I hit most of my points. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big, before I decided to niche in fertility, I really focused on gut health. And that was for me, it was like, I remember graduating at a holistic nutrition school. And my mantra was literally like, um, optimal digestion equals optimal health. And so it's really important to just whoever you are, wherever you are listening to this, uh, you know, don't just think about the foods that you're putting into your body. Think about how you feel after you're eating foods. Are you pooping once a day, twice a day? Ideally, we'd like to be pooping twice a day. Even once a day can be considered constipation. You know, are you getting enough water? Are you bloated all the time? Like, think about how your body is responding to the foods that you're eating, how you feel in your tummy all the time, because these are important things to think about while you're also thinking about the foods that you need to be eating because they literally do go hand in hand. So just be mindful of your digestion and thinking about different ways to support your gut while you're also eating the foods for fertility. So I just wanted to at least make that point. That's such a good point. And it made my brain go in a bunch of different directions about how important that is. But I just really appreciate you sharing that. So I hope that everybody really receives that that message of optimizing your gut and your digestive system is, is really key, um, on the fertility journey. Mm -hmm. So now I'd love to give you a chance to share about where people can find you and any offerings you want to highlight about in your practice. Sure. So I'll start with, I do have a free eat to get pregnant guide. So everything I kind of shared and talked about today, I do have in a guide form. It's just pretty much teaches you how to eat for your menstrual cycle. And I have like a one pager download that kind of, that kind of puts it in a really easy reference one pager that I know a lot of my clients kind of print it out and put it on their fridge. So it's easy for them to remember. You can find that at www.naturallynora.ca backslash eat. Um, it's not .com. I am Canadian. So .ca backslash eat. And um, you can also find me on Instagram at naturally underscore Nora. And as um, Holly so graciously mentioned at the beginning as well, I do have the podcast, the Ultimate Pregnancy Prep Podcast, where I dive into a lot of topics as well um, for how to optimize fertility, gut health, all that fun stuff. So you can check me out there as well. Awesome. Yeah. I listen to the podcast every week. It's great. Go listen to it. Um, I love if it. You're Thank interested. you. Yeah. And I will link all of that, the, the guide, your Instagram and your podcast in the show notes of this episode. So if you are listening, you can find it there. And thank you again so much for being here today. Thank you, Holly. Yeah. And go check out Holly's episode. It was just came out last week. Uh, we talked about our Vigo massage therapy. I I'll think it was actually, episode good point. I'll link that in the show notes. Link too. that in the show notes. It yeah. was a great conversation. I learned so much from you. I love that. I already I'm had so people glad. messaging me being like, I need to figure out how to get this Arvigo massage therapy. <laughs> so you're, totally. you're hitting yeah. lots of people. Well, and I think that I, I left a, a resource for people to find local. Right? It is. Yeah. Yes. So if you want Thank more you. information about the abdominal massage too, then um, you can go check out our episode. Yes. Yay. I'm excited to share with you that I have recently found a an at-home hormone testing company that I really really love and very much align with their methodology and perspective on testing your hormones for understanding what's happening with your fertility. So the name of the company is Prove. So it's spelled P-R-O-O-V. And I really love that they kind of do a full hormone testing 
um, for understanding your fertility and potentially ovarian reserve, there are always limitations when you're talking about taking a snapshot on any individual day. But what's so really so great about this company is that they do invite you to test your hormones on multiple days of the cycle to really get a more complete picture of what's actually going on. Um, so I highly recommend checking them out. You can find them at provetest.com and you can use my code Holly, H-O-L-L-Y 20 at checkout to get 20% off of your first order. And they do have a variety of different test kits um, and some of them do also incorporate the male side of things. So they do offer some semen analysis as well. So go over to prove, P-R-O-O-V test.com to check them out. And don't forget to use my code HOLLY20 to get 20% off of your first order. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody that you think might benefit from hearing some of the information that was shared here today. If you're interested in finding more about me, you can find me on my website at rosebudwellness.com, on Instagram at rosebud underscore wellness, or on Facebook at the Rosebud Wellness community. Also, if you're feeling called to leave a, a rating or writing a review, that would be amazing. It really helps to get the podcast out to more listeners. Thanks so much for listening and until next time.